Hello everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Forbidden Love Rugby Podcast. Thanks again for dialing in, wherever it is you find your podcast. My name's Mikey, and I'll be steering the ship from the stern, taking the bow to the deep, dark waters of topical debate that engulfs Welsh rugby. Ably assisted by Ed to my port. Hello, Ed. Hello, Mikey. And Reese to my starboard. Hello, Reese. Aye, aye, Captain. The topics on deck to discuss are the six-year funding agreement. It's not watertight yet, and will it sink? The potential player exodus. Is it rats fleeing a sinking ship, or is it Landahoy? Dan Bigger's ability to speak French. Sacre bleu! Who knew? But I'm sure some of us already knew he's got a mouth like a sailor. The England coaching situation. As Eddie Jones is made to walk the plank, who's next? Hoist the main sail. We'll also review the first weekend of European club competition and look forward to the second round on the coming weekend. Then part two of our four-part feature, Pivak Picked. And finish off with our forbidden love of the week. So, as we haul up the anchor and set sail for open waters, boys, let's get into this edition of the Forbidden Love Rugby Podcast. Another one. <laughs> I just can't get enough of hanging out with you two, to be honest. Feelings mutual, absolutely mutual. <laughs> so, Ed, Reese, how did we find last week when? What did we think? Yeah, I, I had a great time. I've uh, been looking forward to recording the second episode all week. And it's been really nice, actually. We've had some uh, communications with other podcasts, which was really nice because I feel like dipping your toes into the world of podcasting can be pretty intimidating. So it was actually. Um, one of the guys from the Attacking Scrum Rugby Podcast reached out, uh, gave us a little bit of advice, so big shout out to those guys. Uh, and yeah, the stats are looking, well, we've got stats. <laughs> <laughs> we have stats. Always a good place to have stats. Well, we've, uh, what was it, Reese? We've broken to the top 100 rugby podcasts? In the UK. Now, yeah. Wow. I don't know how many there are, <laughs> but I know, well, we, were 90, we entered a 92nd. And we dropped down to like 250th after a few days. Oh. So, you know, but that entry position. <laughs> entry, we'll take entry points. Yeah. We'll take your entry points where you can. Yeah. Ed, anything to add to that? How we felt after last week? Uh, yeah, it went really well. Really enjoyed doing it. Um, like anything, things to work on. And all feedback's good feedback at Absolutely. this early stage. And um, just really excited to keep getting into it. I, I took a bit from it as well, personally. I got to stop waffling and... Um, Stop trying to pull so much and uh, and everything like that. So maybe there's been improved performance this week. Maybe also oh, more <laughs> polished, more polished. Absolutely. So we've got ourselves a social media presence. We do. Yes, uh, slowly building up. Uh, you can find us at FL Rugby Pod. Uh, you can give us a shout on Forbidden Love Rugby at Gmail dot com. And. Although we're hosted by Acast, I'm proud to say you can now find us uh, wherever you get your podcasts, which I think is something that podcasters say now. <laughs> uh, and if you do find us, like us, subscribe us, and give us a rate if you enjoy us. Helps with some sort of algorithm or something. We'd very much appreciate it. Tell all your mates as well. Like us, send a link, do everything you can. <laughs> <laughs> We've also got our own personal handles on Twitter. Ed? Uh, I'm at 
Eddie Rugby with Eddie E-double-D-double-Y Rugby uh, because Eddie with one Y was taken, unfortunately. And we find Reese at... Well, mine's more convoluted than Ed's. <laughs> I believe I'm RJJ Blue and Black. <laughs> <laughs> and compared to the boys here, mine's quite straightforward. It's uh, at Maggie S. Harris... All over case if that makes a difference. I don't know. This is all very, <laughs> this is all very new to me. So, without further ado, shall we get um, get right into it? Yes, get going. So, our first topic tonight is the six-year funding agreement that's been bought brought in to uh, fund the professional players. Um, as yet, I don't know if you've heard anything else or there's been anything more released to. To date, but um, the con- there's been a conditional contracts have been put in play. Nothing can be signed as yet. Um, what do we think about that? Well, it's a point I made on Twitter maybe last night. Like a conditional contract isn't a contract. It's not a guarantee of employment. No. And all these people want is a guarantee of employment. And if you don't get it, you're going to see more people leave pro rugby in Wales. Walking the plank. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> so Ed, do you think this is maybe a more of a push or more of a pull factor for certain players? Ooh, oh, good question. Um, yeah, I think... Uh, I'd say probably push because it's just, it's just more dragging out what's already been dragged out because, as we said, it, it's not... It's not a signed sealed contract. It's just something. It's a conditional verbal agreement. Yeah. And when you were in a job, essentially, that any any next outing could be your last one on a career ending. And, and of course, like in terms of rugby as well, that's yeah. know, such a, a such an attritional sport. You're not going to be, you know, just taking something on the verbal. If there's a better offer on the table, that's across the border or over the British Channel, why would you Why would you not take it? Exactly. Especially when it probably comes with a one or two more zeros, of course, on the end of the salary. I think as we get into sort of later on, I think maybe Max Wellen is being the beneficiary of that as we speak. Mm. Um, and I think certainly with, with, with the contracts, I think we're far and away from a position where Joan Lomo and his manager, Phil Jones, was um, did everything over a handshake we're far away from that kind of world anymore in, in the professional sense. Um, Reese, with the six-year agreement as it is, nothing is set in place, how do you think this phase up to the next World Cup and to Australia 27, because the six years does cover that Australia tournament as well? Yeah, it's stinking. It's absolutely stinking. I mean, who knows when they'll get it sorted out. They might get it sorted out tomorrow afternoon. I don't know. Um, but... I, I just need to say, like, Max Llewellyn, Gareth Anscombe, Dylan Lewis, Will Rowlands, this is the tip of the iceberg, and mm. if this rumbles on beyond even the festive derbies, the region's going to lose a lot of players. Now, with everything else as it is, such as the 60-cap rule, etc., if those stay as they are, that is trouble for Wales, because you're all of a sudden... Your regions are going to be limited to the limited to the players that are already in contract, and players who can't get a contract anywhere else. Uh, but I think it's worse news to the regions. I mean, you know, 
a, a team like a Cardiff not being able to keep a Max Cloel in, it's baffling to me and we shouldn't be in this position. Ed, with the long-term contract as it is, um, from the, the PRPW involvement, um, how do you think players are going to consider their positions within within the regions? Do you think they are? Do you think they'll welcome the sick, the long-term contract, or do you think that the players may feel that that t- such a length of contract is? detrimental to their futures as, in, as individuals outside of Wales? Um, I think it depends if it comes through. Like, you know, I could I could tell my boss that I want to work for him for the next 10 years verbally, but without me writing that on paper and signing it contractually, it means nothing to him. Yeah, this is the problem. And it's like um, I read on the Cardiff Rugby's... Um, statement about it that they're not beginning contract negotiations till the new year so as Reese said you've got these derbies coming in now people going out and playing playing their trade not knowing if in the new year well firstly they will be given a, a, a worthy contract to continue playing at the region or if the if the agreement will still be in place you know it's like the the, the longevity of it is meaningless without anything Physically signed. Yep. Reese, have you got anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, this is why we can't have nice things in Welsh rugby. <laughs> like, it's the, the, like, the, club, the clubs are playing in Europe right now. We've talked about this later. There's been some good results. The festive derbies are coming up. The Six Nations is on the horizon. It should be a quite an exciting time for fans and spectators. We've got the And this shit is back. just hanging over us. It's, it's infuriating. And it's... It goes back to what we were saying last week about how amateur this organisation is. Mm. It just feels like <laughs> I they, I don't know. This this isn't like making a deal with your next door neighbour to like chop his hedge if he owes your lawn when you're away. No, it's, it's a bit more than that, isn't it? It's yeah. unbelievable. But in in terms of the rugby that we've seen this weekend, the past weekend, and hopefully that we'll see the weekend coming, what a statement by the players themselves. I mean, to put on such performances under under no doubt torrid times for them personally with their families and. Their, their futures. I mean, this isn't something that contract negotiators should be able to play with and who the actors in them situations are. Um, does this then, Ed, do you think become a problem with there being so many capped internationals available to Wales at the moment? And we've previously said on last week's podcast the number of internationals, international players Wales now have at their disposal having been capped so often or not so often as the case may be by Pibbock over the last three years do you think they feel now with the six year agreement it gives them a bit more longevity in confidence with themselves in that being able to be picked for Wales or have at least the potential to I think yeah if you're a player that uh, has minimal cabbage for Wales um, but you still have ambitions to, to, to play for Wales again then if you're in that position, then maybe yeah, it does it does give you hope for the future and uh, onus to stay where you are and and keep you know working hard and striving for that goal. But I just think if you look at our higher cap players who are um, experienced and good players who have no idea what's happening and are coming towards the end of their careers. 
you know, they're going to be thinking, what, what, what's the point in this? I could just have one to two seasons in France, in England, where I can get a contract tomorrow and be on a lot more money and just go and live outside of the WRU bubble. And of course, we've already seen something similar to this, where there was that potential merger between the Ospreys and the Scarlets, where who knows what manner of contracts are being drawn up left, right and centre overnight as an emergency and how that, well, that was going to, going to play out. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on, on your outlook, that didn't happen. Maybe it would have been a good thing long term. Short term, I think there would have been a fair amount of buy-in that would have needed to be happen, not only from players, but from particularly from supporters. Um, Reese, do you think the long-term contract, the six years, is going to draw them players from outside of Wales into Wales or give them the incentive to come to Wales rather than sort of eke out where they are and a potential people where they may still be able to play for Wales if the 60 cap rule changes? See, people keep saying six-year contract. What is the six-year contract? What is the six-year agreement? Like, what is it? <laughs> Again, we don't know. It's, it's, well, it's in the uh, air. From what I read earlier, it sounds like it's it's an agreement with how the funding structures will work and um, how how uh, WIU contracted players will be paid, I think, from the union to the regions over the next six years. So essentially, it's not like saying, you know this new up-and-coming academy player can get a nice six-year contract with the WIU. It's yeah. just saying, this is how we'll fund yeah, it's, X, it's, Y, and Z it's the, the next, next six years. It's the next iteration of the of the funding agreement. And I mean, any agreement is welcome to a point. But, man, before I think I have an opinion on, on how it's going to look, I, I need yeah. to see what <laughs> the, the details are. Uh, but yeah, I haven't got much faith at the moment. If, if and when this does get signed, yeah. I think we definitely need to revisit it then. <laughs> absolutely. And, and absolutely tear it to shreds. <laughs> and that's all the players want, is, is they want something to be confident in. Like we, we for, unfortunately enough, gentlemen, we've never been in that position to be sort of offered financial remunerations for our rugby playing abilities. <laughs> I don't know, jugs after a match. Uh, <laughs> we're we're back, it's all right. We're yeah, we, getting stuck in the mud for. We can, we, we, we'll, we'll take that, yeah. Um, I think, but, you know, the players who who go through the the, the, the yearly, the, the bi-yearly, the, the every three-year contracts, they, they surely know where they are and it's just these feelings coming, coming back again to them and worse and, and you know, and I've no doubt there's going to be some sort of I'm not going to go as far as saying mental health problems, but it's going to cause some anxiety with some players, and I'm sure they do everything they can within their power to put that aside when it comes to that 80 minutes on the park where, you are, where they earn their crust for the want of a better word, because it might be only a crust depending on the outcome of the contract. Yeah. I think you could say that's probably why some players have played well this weekend, uh, amongst other reasons, but... I know it's an escape for a lot of people playing rugby, and uh, it's, I mean, that's probably a different mindset when it's your job, but... Even then, it is a chance to switch off and think about nothing else but rugby for for eighty minutes. I think you're you're spot on there, Ed. Um, I think we've done all right there. We can we've covered covered everything we can there. Um, I think, like I said, as soon as um there's a bit more clarity from the powers that be, where this six year agreement comes into play, um, we'll definitely be re- revisiting it and um, duly giving our opinions where they matter that's my weekly drink drop (laughs) (laughs) I think that's going to become a feature in itself (laughs) what was it this week 
peppermint tea. We're moving up in the world. We're moving up in the world. Plain water now, peppermint tea. I think. What's what's next, Ed? What are you bringing to the to the game next week? Oh, I don't know. Maybe some uh, Chambard. Oh, no, Ted. <laughs> I think um, with the discussions we've had, sort of alluding to players moving on left, right, and centre, this takes us neatly into our next point: the um, potential player exodus, which has been in the media quite a lot this this past fortnight um, with the earlier news of Will Rowlands signing a contract with Racing um, more recently this week um, Max Llewellyn to Gloucester um, Dylan Lewis looking over the border and potentially Gareth Anscombe uh, moving to France be it maybe was it Pau or Racing with Will Rowlands or oh. <laughs> Poe apologies to our French listeners Hope we get some more <laughs> over the next few weeks. Um, Ed, these are captain internationals, multi-captain internationals, uh, apart, apart from Max Trellin, of course, but I no doubt he'll get captain in the near future. Uh, but particularly with the likes of Dylan and Gareth Anscombe and Will Rollins, these are multi-cap internationals. And Will Rollins in particular being what we Wales best player of the of the year, Wales player of the year. Um we believe it being the tip of the iceberg. Um, how big is the tip and how far do you think it'll go? Zing. <laughs> this, um, yeah, this isn't this isn't the last we'll hear of, of these of players, known notable players leaving Wales. Um, I don't think anyway. <clears throat> Again, like what we've already covered, why why would you risk your financial security and future by staying in uncertain waters? Um, and these are not like these are not bottom unknown teams you know okay Power having a Poe having a terrible season at the moment they're third from bottom uh, Racing well they're they're quality they're amazing everyone knows about them and Gloucester are up and coming and I think I think that's going to be a great film for Max Cohen as, as as much as through gritted teeth I say that I'm glad if he's gone anywhere, it's a team like Gloucester. I think they'll utilise him and use him well. And I just hope that Gatlin spike caps him yes. <laughs> as soon as possible <laughs> we so that he can't be taken by England. And um, Dylan Lewis are sort of up and down with my you know opinions on him as a player, but I think he's been, been improving year on year. And it just seems when he's sort of getting to his peak, he just, you know packs up sticks and, and trots over the border and I don't think this uh, six year agreement in principle is going to stop the exodus with that in mind then with the uh, not stopping the player exodus Reese, do you think players have already made up their minds as to where they see where their future lies be it in the immediacy be it within this perceived six year bracket or thereafter it's a good question so if I were a player whose contract were up this summer and a Moneybags team in England or France or Japan or maybe even the MLR came along and said, we give you a contract that lasts for a number of years, you're more likely to play in front of partisan and crowds and packed stadiums in nicer weather without having to worry about the goldfish bowl that is Wales, I'd be seriously tempted. And I mean, 
a lot of these boys, it's going to be a hard decision, not on a financial level, but on an emotional level. I mean, there are club loyalties that people are going to have to break, but they can only bend so far before they do. But and when you consider this 60 cap rule thing, that was really only a, a viable rule when the head coach of Wales didn't get through many players. <laughs> And the ability to earn 60 caps was potentially a three-year thing, you know, with the number of tests we played. Whereas, whereas there's so many players who have been capped now. Actually, 60 all of a sudden seems like a way less achievable goal. It seems mm. quite far off. Ed, with the players in or around and above that upper cap limit as 60 as it is, do you think those players actually need to be playing in Wales as it stands? Um... Yes, but with a hint of no, <laughs> if that makes <laughs> sense. Like, um, being a Cardiff fan, last season it was announced that we'd be signing uh, Liam Williams and Tulupe Falatau. And players admittedly come in towards the end of their playing careers, but are also way above that 60 cap limit, um, but are also superstars and players that will draw crowds in. The absolute buzz and excitement around Cardiff when they were announced was immeasurable. It was amazing. It was like, you know, everyone was so excited for the first game of the season. They were both started. It happened. Um, and it was quality-like. And, uh, you know, sadly, um, Liam had that injury in that game, which meant that um, <laughs> his, his season was uh, suspended for Cardiff. But, you know, since then, Falatau has been immense and... I think getting back around to the main crux of the question, um, yes, it's important for these players to be around for a, for a, a, a menagerie of reasons, like bringing on uh, younger academy boys, adding their experience um, and uh, coaching abilities to, to, to bring them on, bringing the crowds in, therefore generating more revenue that can be put back into the club, which can then be fed back into academies and um, community schemes and things like that that can then hopefully help towards players going out to the community to, to breathe more interest into into the club and therefore generating more um, future stability in talent coming through. Yeah, I think going back to what you said about Leah Williams, if you think about it, if you talk to a few Scarlet fans, I think they're going to tell you that's old news well, being I, injured for so long I <laughs> do ever really listen to what a Scarlet fan has to say anyway <laughs> plus we'll, we'll get that I'm sure yeah, <laughs> I mean so, some people have used this as a opportunity to say we should cut the number of pro teams which I think is bad news it was yeah. bad news previously and cutting from four to three or two is, is not going to be the way to go here like we are into rugby enough in this country that we should be able to get 160 players from fine to elite for four squads of 40 at least. Yes. Going back to your point there, Reese, with the number of regions within Wales, this is something that's close to my heart. Yes. Very close. And, and it, the scars still show and it still runs deep. Clearly a Warriors fan from the inception of regional rugby and... To have to cut from five to four was, was a dent in Welsh rugby. I mean, there's an entire area of Wales that's disenfranchised. Um, and to go from three from, from four to three, who, who are them three? Where do they belong? Who, what, what, what do they represent? I mean, I think there's been a, a 
part of a sort of, of an, identity, an identity issue with some of the regions. I mean, the dragons going from Newport Gwent to, to dragons, Newport dragons, the Scarlet's <laughs> dropping the Clinetti, the Ospreys dropping the Neath Swansea, um, and, and Cardiff reverting back to Cardiff rugby from the Blues. Um, I'm still not sure regional rugby is, has this identity yet. And, and of course, that's a, whole, that's a whole new debate to get into. Mm, yeah, that, that's, that's probably a, a whole episode's <laughs> worth of uh, worms. One, one I'm certainly looking forward to, as it's the 20th anniversary of the demise of the Warriors this year. And mm, I can taste the bitterness in your mm, voice. Let's get, some, let's get some peppermint tea to take that taste I will away. Say if, if Leighton Samuel is listening, he's got, uh, he's got a lot of time to support for Mikey. And I've got a few ideas of my own. We'll leave that for another day. Thank, you, right. thank you, gentlemen. Um, Do they include tar and feathers? They don't yet, but I'm sure <laughs> we can we can put something out. Um, um, uh, just going back, swinging back around to the sixty cap uh, question. I also don't think it should be um, a con- concrete pair of shoes to keep people tied to Wales as well. I think there should be special dispensation awarded to people who have shown the commitment to Wales to be allowed to um, at least look at uh, something uh, further afield um, to, to, you know, and, and to keep them interested and rejuvenated in rugby. I think, like, you look at Liam... I know I'm coming back to Liam Williams, a bit of fanboy in here, but <clears throat> I think him going to Saracens absolutely improved his quality immensely. He, he, was, he was unreal for Saracens, and the people that benefited from that are Wales. But do you think that would be then on a case by case basis, and each player is individually addressed, or is it something akin to a cap rule or a circumstance rule, maybe, where players have to reach have to to cross a metaphorical line to be able to have the opportunities? I think it's a rule that can't be black and white. It needs to have a grey area. I think it needs it needs looking at and reworking, um, but. I also think that you don't want to abandon it completely because you don't want that exodus of experienced good players from the regions. But is reworking and making it grey almost tailoring it to make sure that your better players, more experienced players, still have that capacity to go and earn the money in England and France and still be able to play for Wales, whereas your players with the less caps, who may have a bright future, who are getting... The, we're not getting as many caps as, as they would potentially because of the, the players with the more caps. Is that affecting them that way? I suppose that that's it could affect them that way, and I guess that's something you need to look at if the if the potential is there. It's a case by case situation because it's like I think you you want to keep people interested and playing to the top of their ability, and I think if you've got a ceiling on where they can go with it, then that can sometimes work against people. Reese, is this a grey area for you, or is it more 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 dynamic with a black and a white side? Mm, grey. I mean, I hate to put a hard number on anything. I mean, especially with caps, right? Because the number of caps you can achieve is so impingent on like other s- factors. So. Let's say you're on 59 caps after the autumn series and you pick up an injury playing for your club in December. 
and you miss the Six Nations, and you're on 59 caps, you would have been selected, and somebody outside of Wales offers you a contract, and the, the Welsh regions are in the situation they're in now. Like, that seems harsh to uh, 60 or get lost. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, short answer, grey area. I think I have to agree with the grey area. It's, it's a sliding... It, it slides with, with the players there at the time, and you have to play your strengths where they are, and clearly your strengths lie with your more experienced players. I think that's that's a theme through rugby. Great stuff. Cheers, boys. Um, as we've mentioned, players moving about, and I think it's high time he gets stuck into Dan Bigger's ability to speak French. This is clearly becoming handy for him, considering his move to Toulon. To, to My partner has watched that clip several times now, and I'm worried. He's <laughs> <laughs> half French. <laughs> He's a beautiful man, and he just got home. Oh, it's like that, is it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I will oh. say, that, that classic Toulon jersey did him a fair few oh, Do you know what, right? Uh, it, it looks so good on him. There's, I think there needs to be... I think in sometimes in rugby we need to go backwards to move forwards, <laughs> and I truly think it'd be a great leveler. Wasn't well. that a Gareth Jenkins quote? <laughs> it may well have been, <laughs> and I think I think he did go, uh, and I think he took that to the extreme um, in, in France two thousand seven. No, I tell you what, I think it was Roger Lewis. He said, "We've got to move forwards while looking backwards." Or something. <laughs> what do you think oh. about it? Does it be much talk? Yeah. yeah, I think he must have been watching a bit of Michael Jackson. He's looking over his shoulder, perhaps. Um, that Toulon shirt, though. I mean, retro yeah. is the new chic. I um, think Barf chic. Have, chic. Bath have done a similar thing. They've um, released a retro line of jerseys, and oh, it's, they, they always what? nail their kits. Bath. Yeah. To be fair, I mean, the blue and white and black stripes. It, it, it'll, it'll never go out of fashion. And, um, some, and some of their old yellow kits as well. They're just stunning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but what? What a way to. Immediately make yourself a club legend, boy. I, I have a question. Um, was this like a buy a ticket to watch Dan Bigger say two sentences <laughs> of French, or was it before a match? Like, what was the context? He's, he's, he's got gravity, gravitas, hasn't he? Yes. I mean, as with as as a, as a player is calibre and Lions, Wales, and uh, any any team signing a player of, of his ability is is going to get uh, bums on seats or derriers on. Um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure of the French for chaise lounge maybe. Derriers on chaise lounge, absolutely. <laughs> um, but I think it went in terms of Dan Digger, um, he, he clearly knows where he is in his his time of life. Yes. Um, they were at home to Racine on Sunday the fourth, so if it was pre match, ah, makes um, sense. It might have. Uh, hype the crowd up a bit too much because they did go on to lose that match. <laughs> False confidence. And <laughs> um, do you think with 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 Dan Bigger's move to Toulon, then do you think he's sort of silently indicating he's may no longer be interested in a Wales place? No, I, I don't think Dan that'll ever come to something to Dan Bigger's mind. I think any time Wales will come calling, he'll answer. Um, I think it's a situation of a player being at the tail end of their career, having an opportunity to go and play somewhere exotic uh, in the terms of rugby um, uh, prowess and, um, and you know, experience something he's probably wanted to his whole career. You listen to a lot of players and they say you know, the, the lifestyle in France, it's, they mention a lot of podcasts, different players gone in and it's, it's a totally different way of living um, Reese, it's clearly a big money move to France um, we've, we've seen previously how um, the, the, the 
oh, things become difficult with Gregor Townsend playing for, for Racing as it is and him playing for Scotland as well. Do you think Toulon may dig their claws into Dan Bigger and maybe give him ultimatum these days and plays club rugby as opposed to being away with the international game? Well, they can't. Um, <laughs> World Rugby has its international windows and he will have to be released for those. Um, whether or not he's fit and not had his head caved in is, uh, is another matter. Um, the only thing it means is he won't be available for that those extra training camps, but he wasn't anyway. And he won't be available for the 4-4 international, which he wasn't anyway. Uh, Gatlin loves him. He's got credit in the bank. He's got the caps. Mm. He's played the system and he's done well. Like I think we see him in whale shirt as long as he's fit. Do you think he may be spreading himself too thinly by playing in such a nutritional league? It is a, it is a week-to-week league. It's a 14-team league. Home and away games. He's, he's, gonna, in, a, he's, obviously he's in a comfortable position at 10 where he, where he can be managed through a game and looked after by the back row, I suppose. But... Is he gonna I, is he gonna take his tall head? What do you think? I, I know I don't think so. I don't I, I don't think I don't think people give Dan Berger enough credit for his tenacity as a player. Like he's if you think about it, hard as nails. Like can you can you really think about times where he's been out for a prolonged period with with injury? He's may may have had one or two. Nothing's bringing to mind right now. But like he's a hard bastard and he's a feisty bastard. And I think uh, the Pro Fourteen is gonna absolutely suit him down to the ground. And somewhere like. That shit crazy is too long. It's gonna, <laughs> I think he's just going to swap. The thing is, like, I've got like vague memories when playing for Wales and picking up an injury in like the seventieth minute. Where like most people would be like, "Yeah, I'm coming off." It's just like, nah. <laughs> like he just come back with his legs strapped up, which you know, I'm not condoning it. I don't think it's it's good for him. But you know, I feel like he's a player who likes to play, likes to get stuck in, and he plays better when he's playing consistently. Next, next time you watch him play. If he ever has like a hard knock or something that it is like that in the seventieth minute, that you may think, "Well, oh, I'll go off now." If you just look at him, he does this almost like sulky face, like he's like pissed off and and, and annoyed. But he'll, that'll be how he expresses it, and then he'll just carry on playing, and then but be angrier. No, it's a legend. <laughs> it's a true testament to his character how he pick himself up, brush himself down, and get on yeah. the job in hand. And here's the thing: I think he's a rare example of a fly off in Wales who people weren't sure about at the start mm. and he's grown <laughs> on everybody yeah. whereas usually it's the other way around everyone's like he's gonna save Welsh rugby and then like, two years later he's struggling for his region and we put that kind of pressure on that person in that 10 jersey possibly I mean nobody's put pressure on Dan Bigger I remember like loads of people saying nah he's why are you yeah. playing Bigger and, and he did start start his career quite quite young behind a lot of other more yeah. experienced 10s and Clearly, he's taken each opportunity to learn off them tens in his stride, and he's became become the number one ten for Wales, and was an option at ten for the Lions as well. Okay, um, bit bit, bit left the centre. This is a Welsh rugby podcast. However, we cannot ignore the fact of the um, the revolving door that is the coaching situation throughout world rugby at the minute, and. I don't know whether this was the case, but it seemed like Wales sneezed and England caught a cold when it came to Saturday <laughs> coach. Um, obviously, we're going to move on to speak for, for a short while about Eddie Jones and the situation there. Um, opening thoughts, what do we think, what, what do we think there? Reese. So, I've just looked this up because uh, if, you, if you Google England rugby head coach, 
The current answer is Richard Cockerell. <laughs> Richard Cockerell currently in as an, for an interim period. A caretaker. So Eddie's gone. Um, there was talk of him being one of the people who might have beaten Gatland to the Wales job. I'm glad he didn't. Um, mm. And all the mood music seems to point to Borthwick and his defence coach. Um, but it'll be, it's going to be expensive from the get there. Like, you know, it, it, they're doing not as well in the league as they were last year. And it's halfway through a season. But these are successful coaches. And if England want to buy them out of their contracts, that's, this is going to be a lot of money. Two million. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Um, uh, well, I'm, sh- I'm sure I've read or heard this somewhere. Um, maybe on various rugby podcasts I listen to. Sorry, guys. But um, apparently I think they, the RFU offered uh, less than like 200,000 to buy out the coaching setup, <laughs> and they turned around and went, mm, "No, uh, how about two million? <laughs> uh, they play Leicester, you know. They obviously know what they've got in, in what they've got in their coaching setup there between um, Steve Borthwick, Kevin Sidfield, Richard Bigglesworth, and the conditioning coach here, Alan Walters. If they are, if you were serious about it, I do not for one second believe they don't have the money to do that. We didn't think there was two million in Wales." To get Garland for his services, so there's clearly well, there's always a few pound coins brought back us so far, isn't there? Yeah, I, I think um, another rugby podcast mentioned that like a government has a, a war cabinet. Sometimes rugby unions have That's a sort of head coach <laughs> cabinet. Um, Cobra meeting. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was an excellent point, but I find it as a Welsh rugby fan quite funny. Like, like this is played out so publicly. Yeah. yeah. Considering, like, for me, the writing was on the wall from when, uh, from the Italy game, and you can, I suppose we can guess and, and make merry with, with, with what we think, but I think there was conversations going on with Gatland way before the Georgia game, and... Well, not, not according to Gatland, he says he just, uh, just came over, was that this, a nice... Mini break, maybe exactly. watch a bit of rugby, and then stay in the bay on a, a group on. But this, yeah. this, is, this is the guy who encouraged the Welsh team, told them they're the fittest, the strongest, and then come out the podcast and said, Well, I don't know, they could have been, they couldn't have been, we just don't know. <laughs> so, what can you really believe? Um, obviously, you know, Gatland, as they said, screwed on and knows what he's doing, and it's like he was Gatland was here doing the, the the prime stuff for, for the for the Autumn Nations Cup. Um, it, it seemed too convenient, maybe, but um, Ed, go, go, Ed, going back to Eddie, Ed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe the other Eddie rugby is Eddie Jones. <laughs> is there somebody looking oh, to Maybe it is. Maybe it is. <laughs> um, we mentioned Steve Borthwick sort of potentially in line to become the next England coach. Do you see any others potentially being lined up or have other than the names of the hat? For the England uh, role, well, there's the usual suspects at the moment of Scott Robertson and Ronan O'Gara. Um, oh no, Ronan O'Gara didn't he? Um, he signed a long term contract he, with them, um, La Rochelle. Did, didn't he contact the RFU and said, "Please take my name out of the hat"? <laughs> I think he did. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm sure to the delight of every Irish rugby fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, Scott Robertson, I don't think he'd be the right fit for England, to be honest. Um, and also, I hope he just holds out until. Wales get him and then I think there's oh, a, can you imagine Scott Robinson and Sean Edwards I think a lot of a lot of fans are, are 
fingers crossed for that. I'm yeah. certainly one of them. Um, but to be honest, I haven't really seen anything other, other than Borthwick, who seems to be their out-and-out favourite candidate. I haven't, I haven't noticed anyone else putting their hands up or names <laughs> being dropped in the hat. Yeah, and no, I agree. I think it's going to be Borthwick or bust. But this, this always waxed lyrical about coaches. I mean, agreed, Ed, I think. I, I don't think Razor would be the one. He comes from a different style of rugby to England want. And I think... In the end, Eddie became not the coach England wanted. Uh, I really do think England want a coach that's promoted from within within the Premiership. Rob Baxter, Exeter, is another coach who's been eternally successful with with Exeter, along with Mark McCall in um, in Saracens, another coach who's been mighty successful. So there, there are successful coaches around, uh, whether they fit the mould for what the R if you want is another question. Uh, Steve Borthwick did work with Eddie Jones for a period and was very successful at the at the time. So Steve Borthwick almost seems like the perfect fit, but obviously Lesser not going to let him go um, without a fight. Um, my humble opinion: I don't think Eddie should have gone. I don't think the R if you should have let him go. Slight degree, yeah. Um, he, he rubbed them up the wrong way. I don't think this was a rugby decision. I feel like. They just don't like him, and I don't like him, but I feel like he's got a reasonable enough win ratio that, you know, if Wales had won 70% of their games in the last seven years, I'd probably be happy enough whoever was coaching us. Well, yeah. it, 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 it's how they, how they got it. The results will speak for themselves. Um, and if you look at the, the stats from Eddie Jones and the, the countries he's been around and been involved with and, and, and the World Cup journeys they've been on, he took Australia to a World Cup, he's been involved with the South Africa in the World Cup, he's taken England to a World Cup final, uh, with Australia finals with Australia and South Africa as well um, pulling off miracles with Japan beating South Africa in Brighton uh, these are no mean feats these are no efforts that can go unmissed and I'm sure that if, if you're looking at the coach's success rate then you may have to take a little bit of rough with a little bit of smooth and accept the person for who they are if you're the results are coming he's a man that breathes rugby world cup and that's all he wants success in. That's the one thing that's eluded him his whole career, and that's all he wants to do and win. And that's all he was building up towards. I don't think he cared about the Six Nations in reality between World Cups. And I think, as much as it, it pains me to say, because I think he should have got been gone years ago. Not only for you know he's he's been a proven coach, but his man and man handling, man management is shocking. You know the stories coming out of the England camp of how he ha- handles people which is atrocious. But if you put up with that for this long, why wouldn't you put up with it for another 12 months until the World Cup is done and dusted and then say, ta Because there's an end date. There's an end date to, to, to the World Cup and it seemed that rugby is now managed in four-year cycles, which may or may not be the right thing. I'm not too convinced whether the World Cup cycle is the right way to manage contracts. It seems to be and everyone works that, that cycle. And like you said, they, um, England's results have dipped between tournaments, but they are a very good World Cup team. Probably one of the few Northern Hemisphere teams who have a good World Cup calibre. I mean, Ireland struggled to get out of the pool stages over the last few years. Wales reaching the semi-finals twice over the last of the more recent World Cups. Scotland failed fortune, um, and that's just the British Isles. France have uh, uh, done some done some damage with New Zealand and seem to be New Zealand New Zealand's banana skin in some cases. But um, what do we think is next for Eddie Jones? 
so people seem to see USA as a eight-year project ahead of their World Cup. Uh, I mean, I can see it. You know, he he turned Japan around, um, and his success meant that England snapped him up. But I mean, it would have been interesting to see him go another four years to Japan and take them to their own World Cup. I think that would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, from a purely sort of, I wonder what would happen if perspective. I'd quite like to see him rock up in America with a sort of better part of a decade plan and say, right, your KPI is going to be how the USA do with their own World Cup. And yeah, just as an experiment, I'm here for it. Yeah, agree. I think this um I think Eddie Jones is a kind of character, kind of coach, who needs to go to somewhere where there is where rugby may not be a thing or may not have its structure. So he can implement his own way of how he sees that working. From the very grassroots to the to the very top of the trees. Well, he's chippy and he likes being an underdog. I, th- I think that works well this year. Yeah, I think yeah, that works in his favour to yeah. be to be to play the underdog role. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, get away to the other side of the world where rugby is still in its infancy, really, and um, like we said, just snap about ten years. All that wealth of of ex NFL players. NFL people who have not made it you've got talent and talent and talent I think that's in abundance ma- I think that's a massive point the USA have all the raw materials to be a, compet- a competitive team within world rugby it ha- I think it already has the infrastructure with the NFL teams and it's, for me it's just a copy and paste it's a copy and paste exercise of how they yeah. how they make rugby grow how do they grow American football take that do it again may not be as big as American football being America's game however if the fundamentals are there I'm sure it won't take long well I mean American football is the most successful football sport on the planet uh, in terms of turnover and viewership so Mm. rugby's not going to get to that level but I think I'm right in saying there's no amateur American football either you make it as a pro or you don't. And, there's, and there's, there's a lot of almost pro-American football athletes with no help yeah. for them. You, you look at the American Sevens, um, Perry Baker absolutely tearing it up. Um, he was uh, someone that didn't make it as an fo- American football pro and Sevens is, is the sport for him. He's, he's hard, he's rapid as, as hell <laughs> and he knows how to ha- handle a ball. Um, you know, similar shape to an American football, but he Carlin Isles as well. You know, um, okay, he wasn't so much NFL. He was a um, hundred meter sprinter, but you know, there's there's talent to be had, and those two are just a snippet of 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 what you're on about. And they've got a fledgling club game, uh, which you know seems to attract some players. You know, at the end of their careers, but some global superstars. Mm. But that's only good for the game in America to drag in the, the, the yeah. international superstars to build the profile. Interesting fact with the America with, with USA rugby, Gary Gold, the head coach, has just stepped down. Oh. Well, oh, it's, it's meant to be. Uh, well, you, you've kept that from us until this point <laughs> in the podcast. Uh, Gary Gold stepped down uh, due to not qualifying for the next World Cup. So there's, there's an opening there. And if. Uh, the powers that be within rug- USA Rugby. And listening to this podcast. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Imagine if Wayne Pivak shows up in America. <laughs> Wayne, oh. Wayne Pivak, Eddie Jones, <laughs> coaching oh. partnership. Oh. 
I mean, uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's recycle what Europe just uh, put out to dry. Um, one other point I, I picked up through the week. Um, Eddie Jones being a close friend of Michael Checker. Michael Checker has just recently been involved with Lebanon Rugby League as well as Argentina Rugby Union. Um, Eddie Jones is on, as, as, as we noted, it's saying he may like to give a go in, in Rugby League. Ed, do you reckon that it, Rugby League is an avenue for Eddie Jones in the future? Uh, potentially, I will admit that my rugby league knowledge is minimal, so I'm not like I'm not entirely sure the styles if they match up or not. But I feel like he may not get away with so much how he treats players in rugby league. You're a bit of a different breed, Reese. Has uh, Eddie got a future in rugby league for you? Uh, same sort of answer as Ed um, I think we've got a rugby league episode coming up in the future and I think we're both going to learn a lot about the ins and outs of that yes. sport yeah I, I, I honestly I'm not best placed to say that he's a, he's a personality though he's high profile yeah. um, and that has its merits whether or not the technicalities of that game specifically suit him I don't know okay um, that's I think it brings us quite close to the end of the first half. I forgot my whistle this week, boys. So, um, but uh, one one last point to bring up here with um, a bit of bit of unfortunate news we've come by over the last couple of days with regards to Porth Call Rugby Club. Um, it's been a very unfortunate situation where they've had a, a break in at the club there, and this is something that no rugby club would like would want to go through. Uh, rugby clubs themselves, we see in the media, are struggling to put teams out and to have a dent potentially in their club with with yeah. uh, a theft on such a scale um, I think I speak on behalf of the, everyone here uh, condolences to the to Porth Call Rugby Club and um, we really do hope that uh, we get to the bottom of this uh, rather rapidly yeah and they have put an appeal for information um, so this is related to an incident close to their clubhouse uh, on the morning of the 4th of December so yeah they're just appealing for anybody who knows anything to contact South Wales Police uh, right, do you want to do last weekend before you move on to uh, Did I Pipped? Yeah, I think so. Uh, as uh, Mikey might be able to tell from our beaming smiles, it was a very, very good weekend for the old uh, Troy Blacks. I'm trying to remain impartial here. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I'm sure we can get our points across as we well. Do, shall, we, shall we start? Should we do this in some sort of order? Um, Best team to worst team. Because <laughs> um, it was Dragons first, wasn't it? In yeah, South Africa. And you know what? End of the game, actually. Like, Absolutely. They've fought, well, I, I guess they've beaten South Africa now for the best part of four weeks, but like. It's truly acclimatised. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to come away from a draw in that game, and they did have a chance to win it. I mean, I, like, you know, hey, I'm no Dragons fan, but I was watching it on the way to Cardiff on the bus. And I felt so bad for Sam Davis missing that drop goal at the end. Like, like there's a real chance to win that. There's it's, it's fractions of millimetres. Yeah. You, know, you catch the ball wrong one side or right the other yeah. side, and it's, it's, it's there. And I, I'm not looking forward to the uh, festive derbies this year, because the Dragons are going to come home with a lot of confidence in that. I think there's, there's something special going on with the Dragons. Um, there would be a, a, sleeping, a sleeping dragon, maybe, up <laughs> to this point. But, um, yeah, what, they, they're doing something there, and they've managed to fit the raw materials together Dra- Dragons were ahead 24-17 at half time last weekend and I think even the Lions players were willing that ball to over I mean you, you, uh, you watch rugby from an impartial and, and I think 
you, you'd willing that the ball to go over just for the player himself taking the opportunity with yeah. the Redland. Oh, you do you mean the penalty at the end? Or the drop goal, the Sam Davis drop oh, goal. Oh, Sam Davis, right, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, he's a confidence player, um, gutted for him. Uh, you'd like to think that he would be slotting those over, but again. You know, you're in South Africa, you're playing in temperatures you're not used to when you live in Newport. Um, <laughs> you're, you're probably exhausted from, from all the road, you know, from being in South Africa for four weeks away from home. Uh, I think um, I think it's harsh for Sam Davis to have missed that, but I think if you had offered any Dragons fan a... Um, uh, was it two, three points for a draw? Three, take for a bonus take point three. try draw, was it three points? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, so I think if, you, if you'd said to any Dragons player leading up to that ma- uh, fan, leading up to that match, you can you can have a three-pointer here, do you want it? They would have snapped your hand off. Absolutely. Yeah. It still doesn't, sometimes though, like we can all say those things, but if I, I know if I were a Dragons fan, I could say that, <laughs> but really I would be, I'd be a bit gutted actually, because that would have been a bonus point win. But, but, yes, but, yeah. but, but, but you say to a Dragons fan, you take a 31 all draw and three points, but Sam Davis misses a drop goal yes. to, to, to win it. Yeah. I think that may be yeah. that harder, a bit a harder pill to swallow for the Dragons fans. Yeah, but, I mean, flip side, they did attempt a 65-metre <laughs> penalty not long after that to win the game. And, and it, it, had the, it had the legs. It, it did, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. I, yeah, at one point I thought it had gone over, but uh, <laughs> thankfully not. So um, I was, like I said, watching that on my way to the Cardiff game. This, you know, it's a weird one, man. Like, are we, are we flat-track bullies, though? Like, because <laughs> it's a weird thing in Welsh rugby where we usually see incapable of hammering teams playing with worse players and we always seem to get dragged down to people's levels but twice now Cardiff have played weaker opposition and actually done the hammering which is a weird position to be in it's you kind of thought a half time of that match where we just couldn't score you know we we were were knocking on Breve's door we just couldn't get that try at the end of the first half, and you kind of thought, oh, is this going to be a bit of a, you know, come back now from Breve, and it's going to be a dogfight win for us. Yeah. Uh, and especially then in the start of the second half, brings on Falatel, immediately impactful into the game, ball out the back, out to Lloyd Williams, Josh Adams somehow gathers, then drops, and you're like, oh no. Here we go. <laughs> is this, is this, is this, is this a... But I mean, we'd, we'd be happy, uh, and... We we talk about next weekend, I think after after the feature. But we've got some momentum, but at the oh, same yeah. time, it doesn't really like watching it from the t- touchline. It felt a bit easy. Didn't feel like we were trying all that hard, and it was a weirdly deflating forty-one nil victory. <laughs> but like like we alluded to last time, we um, breathe lingering. Yeah, lingering heavy at the bottom yeah, of yeah. the top fourteen, and they didn't send their A team. Again, yeah, as I was going to say, they, think they sent their B team. Didn't they? <laughs> it was a very weakened, and take obviously take nothing away from Cardiff win, of course. As I sit here with my Pontypridd shirt on, feel <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> rather dirty for saying such such words, but 
if you're a team player, if you're one team player in a team like that, I think you've got to take your wins, take your points, and open up when you get a chance to. Yeah. I mean, actually put the ball through the hands and play a bit of rugby where you get a chance, because then opportunities are not going to come very often, and particularly within the, the European competition structure as it is, that's going to weigh heavy in Cardiff's favour in, the, champion, in, the, in the, the Challenge Cup. Yes. I'd struggle to see us not progression from this point. I mean, it's, it's hard not to, and I mean, um, the, the guys on uh, Blood and Mud discussed this in some depth, like the new group structures in the, the European tournaments are garbage. It, 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 it's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's really hard not to get out of your group now. And it, the jeopardy in the group stage is gone. Yeah. It's, uh, um, look, go just take, take a yard back in the Dragons game. Um, watching the Dragon, what, try, try and watch a little bit of the Dragons game. Who was watching? Yeah. I mean, there was no, there was no buy-in from supporters, even the local supporters of, of the Lions. And that's really disappointing. The, the, are, are the supporters, <laughs> are the supporters in South Africa buying into the fact that they now play in a European competition, in a European Cup competition? Maybe they sort of come in along slowly to the URC, but to, to, to play in something that's totally foreign, apologies for the pun, totally foreign to, to, to them, you know, they, there's, and I, I, we don't know how much work have gone on within South Africa to help the, the rugby public in South Africa understand what it is or where it's come from. Um, but what else made me laugh was was, was Joe Marler last week in, a, in a, after after the, after Harlequin's play in Bath. Uh, went on to say, uh, it'd been interviewed by Sarah Elgin, uh, so where you play next week, Joe? Yeah, we're playing in Europe next week. Where in Europe? South Africa. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an interesting one. So like, I, I've read a little bit around this and the, I think part of this, maybe just a small part, is that three to 5,000 people in a 40,000-seater stadium feel somehow less than 5,000 people in the Cardiff Arms Park. But it's not just limited to that competition. So uh, Lions, I think, um, played bowls earlier in the year and there was still two and a half thousand people there so i think there's a lot more i don't know pressures on people's time maybe in south africa maybe going to the game is less important than watching on tv it's, it's a different it's, it's a different economic different, different environment yeah. different scale different yeah. part of the world we're not familiar we don't think to know what did anybody catch the scarlet game Bit part, yeah. yeah. I, I, I didn't actually get to see this one, but yeah, I, same. It's the only one I didn't really see any of this weekend. I think, um, it would be much in the, I think, much in the same way as, as, as the Cardiff game went, yeah. Fair play to the Scarlets, I've done it again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like it felt better for the Scarlets because they've been having such a tough season, like doing a hammering like that is. Is kind of nice out of nowhere. It's good for the soul. Now, yeah. now they're the new dragons. It very much felt like <laughs> they would. You would expect them to lose to a second string Bayon team. You could yeah. see it happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, wouldn't be on the yeah. Even though I called the a win, um, I'm probably just plucked <laughs> out of thin air. <laughs> but um, I'm glad to see them win and win convincingly again against the depleted French team who are probably. Solely going to focus on league survival now for this season. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. It's got to be. We have to play credence to the old adage that French teams do not travel. 
well, not for a second tier European competition. Yeah. Be that as the case. Yeah, they they've got bet more they've got better things to be concentrating on right now mm. than Scarlets and Clarecki on a Sunday. But unfortunately for the Scarlets, they do travel away again to to South Africa next week mm. when they come up against uh, the Cheetahs. Yeah. But we'll come to that later. Um, and then oh right, so the only Welsh Champions Cup fixture, you know, like. I thought Ospreys were a bit better than people are saying. Like, they were in it for a lot of a the lot game. A lot of the game. They were ahead at half-time. And it was, it was a bit of an old dogfight, and it wasn't, you know, the, the, the best... Uh, what happened? Leicester. Leicester. I was confused about Leicester. <laughs> that's, uh, that's on me. Yeah, it wasn't like like the old Ospreys-Leicester fixtures where... Oh, they were, they were battles. Yeah, it was mm. proper nasty stuff. Um, yeah, like... <sighs> Possibly quite a boring Champions Cup game, but still, Ospreys, I thought, gave a good account of themselves. Absolutely. Uh, and Leicester showed how Leicester perform in, in Europe. Yeah. They, sh- they show, they, they've got their identity and they know exactly who they are in that combination. And they have Anthony Watson. Oh, man, that, that, <laughs> what, yeah. that step, that, that try was fantastic. I mean, like, he just, like, he sort of, like, strafed sideways <laughs> through the uh, through the defenders and then righted himself and off he went isn't it? And it's a difficult step to, to, to defend I mean yeah. you, you've got to be a, a top class defender to, to be able to sort of counteract them, them, that fancy footwork yeah just throw yourself in front of them and hope they trip over you we're going to take a quick break there before we get into Pivak picked maybe we'll uh, grab some oranges and see you in the second half Welcome back to the second half. I hope you enjoyed the halftime oranges as much as we did. So, we're going to get stuck into the second part of our feature, Pivak Picked. Now, in a slight change to the last 23 we looked at, the first 23 we looked at uh, were the first 23 players Pivak Picked as a, as a team, as a match day team. The second 23 players we're, we're going to look at the next 23 players in line, the next 23 cabs off the rank, if you will, who played for Wales under Pivak. And without further ado, we'll get stuck into it. Ed, take us to uh, your, your thoughts on Dan Bigger. Dan Bigger, 33, fly half, Toulon, 103 caps. It's insane. I mean, when, when you think about where Dan Bigger started, people weren't convinced about him as a player. It's like the opposite of what Wales is normally like of a young fly half. Normally it's like they're gonna save Welsh rugby and within two years they're second choice of their region. <laughs> yeah. But he's bigger had the other the opposite. And and he's somehow managed to sort of like plough through that doubt some players might have had and pushed himself to the front. Yeah. Hell of a player, hell of a career and I think we mentioned off air like could he be Wills of Saxon? Could he yeah. play for another four or five years? I can see it happening. I just I don't see any stopping him. High attrition rate, but a, a hard bastard. Very much so. As we move on, our next in line is Ryan Elias. Yeah, so uh, I'm just looking at my notes here, and in this Italy game in the Six Nations 2020, Pivak used nine new players um, from his previous team, the Barbarians, the previous autumn. Ryan Elias was used 24 times by Pivak. Uh, Scarlet Hooker, if I made you guess, he's at 30 caps, how old do you think he is? 
Oh, he looks like he's got a hard paper round. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's up there with that. He's got to be 33, 34 maybe. Yeah, he's still, 30, 30s. He's still only 27, no. which is insanity, really. Blink your neck. Um, but I think after a decent start with Gatlin in the 2019 World Cup, the jury's still out. Um, for me, what done it was the game against Australia. Uh, conceding the penalty on your own try line, yellow card to boot on a penalty try. Them not the kind of decisions an established international needs to be making at that point. At that point of the game, let alone his career with with what's happened of late. Just yeah, if you're going to infringe, do it more more cleverly. I mean, I suppose at 27 is there's a way back for him. But you look at boys like Dewey Lake who are coming through now. I think it's a longer road back to starting for Wales. Yeah, might have there's people been. going to leapfrog him and he'll find it tough to fight back into that position. And Ken Owens is looking strong as well. Somehow. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know how he just does. He's danced in the blue flame, maybe. Old we don't know. Sheriff. Next we have up uh, Toby Faletau. Faletau, recent acquisition <laughs> of the Blues. Age every week. <laughs> <laughs> Age 32. With 95 caps to his name, playing blindside and uh, or playing number eight with a little dally into blindside and and the odd the odd dust up in the second row. It's incredible. Like he's been an eight out of ten as a baseline his entire career since Gatland unearthed him in 2011. And what a find! And I got to be honest, I didn't really know about him before he played internationally. Well, there was uh, bits and bobs of the under twenties, yeah. but, uh, but there was a uh, sort of a generation who come through the same time from that under twenties team. Yeah, along yeah. with and yeah, I think yeah, I, I'd say for a lot of people outside of um, Gwent, he was probably relatively unknown as a yeah. club player. And just like what a, he seems like a lovely guy. Yeah, like humble, incredible player. And that first game he played for Cardiff, man, he was turbocharged. I remember oh. he, he took the ball into contact. Made meters, got taken down, hit the deck, presented the ball, got up, received a pass, <laughs> went into contact, made meters. It was, it was on fire. And he can do it all. Yeah. He's a player who doesn't look like he should be allowed to make as many meters as he does. And how old do you say he was? He is 32. So, you know, a couple of years left yet. I think, I think I'd like to think, I think we all hope we'd like to see him make the next World Cup after this one come in. Yes, that's, ask, that's asking a lot. I think yeah. that's going to be the the, the top yeah. end of his. And then you to think that there's a Lions tour in the middle of that as well. Yeah, remains to be seen. Okay, next up we have Corey Hill. Naughty boy. Oh, debt collector, Corey Hill. <laughs> 30 years old, lock, currently at Yokohama Cannon Eagles. 32 caps. 32? That's incredible. Uh, he's only seven of those with Pivak, but of course, we all know. Why his career came to an abrupt end there. Interesting one. He was one of the Geography 6, was it, for the Lions? Yeah. Called I, up and he, there was that meme, wasn't it? British and Irish Lion, Corey Hill. And <laughs> I think that was a bit of a savvy move by Wales, playing New Zealand on tour about the same time. Uh, don't, <laughs> you, don't you think? Very savvy, yeah. Well yeah. done, Wales. But, um, you know, like, okay, everything extracurricular aside... 
he did start coming good for Wales. And yes. a- another potential captaincy candidate. And you know, before he made these these poor life choices, and yes, it's a shame. Allegedly, yeah. I mean, it's a shame for Wales. We won't see him again, but I mean, that's that, I think that is the right choice. Yeah. I'm not so. I wouldn't like to be so sure. I'd like to think maybe there's a way in. Maybe, but that would be missing. I think he's in a position in Wales where uh, second rows are. We're not. They're not growing on trees, hmm. as such. Any, so, any gardener knows you grow them underground anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'd like to think there would be a way in, if possible. After that, we move on to another second row, yeah. second row partner, possibly for this game, in Alan Wynne Jones. Uh, yeah, Alan Wynne. So Corey Hill came off the bench in the, this Italy game. Uh, Alan Wynne started at lock, which is no surprise to anybody who's watched. I gave a stat once that I think it's like Alan Wynne Jones has played in a third of all of Wales' matches. Of all, of all time. All time. Blink your neck. And you think about it because a lot of games weren't capped back in the no, day. No, yeah. So for all the Wales capped games, wow. apparently, Means, I, we'd have to double check that. But yeah, yeah. We'll check that and we'll get back to you with uh, Seven years old, never left the Ospreys, 155 Wales appearances, 12 for the Lions. And has felt like a senior player since about 2008. Stoic. 15 years ago. Stoic. Yeah. He's, he, he stands there like a redwood. And he was, he was still like soft hands against Australia. And yeah. taking him off, I think, was a big part of why he came back got the can. Oh, actually, yeah. You could trace it back to that one. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and if, you, if, if what we read is on the reports and uh, the media and social media is right, he's still busting for it. Oh, aye. Which is ridiculous for a man of his age with that many caps. You'd think there'd be some slowing down, but no, and that's t- t- testament to the absolute character he is. And long may look, Sir so, so Allen of Wynn, <laughs> we salute you. <laughs> Next up, we have Ross Moriarty. Thank you, Ross. Currently playing in the Dragons, 28 years old and 54 caps to his name. Dalliance with the dalliance between blindside and number eight. I'd like to see Ross nail a, nail a position down either at number eight berth or the number six berth and really carry it forward. It's great to have a player like that being able to flip them between the both. But you become a jack of all trades master and, and I think get into one and make it good and cover the other. I think if I had to pick one, he's a six. But I think we need eight. Eight for me. Uh, yeah, eight for me as well. He's, he's going to be looking over his shoulder at both of them. Shortly, I think. Um, or Morgan Morris. I think Morgan Morris is the income is is the next eight off the rank. For me, um, as Cardiff fans, we <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you would, so you would. <laughs> we, 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 just, we just cut that bit out. But I remember <laughs> Ross Moriarty's first game again. Came out of nowhere, smashed. I think it was England's debut. Maybe it'd be I, a nice one. I think it was, and he just absolutely. Well, he was, again, as I've used this expression already, they turbocharged. Yeah. And I think on the back of that, we've all wanted the second coming of that performance. And I don't think he's ever quite hit those heights, but he's no. solid enough. Yeah. Solid enough, consistent seven, I'd say, uh, in all his games. Um, and I think for that reason, he'll always be there or thereabouts. Next up is George Northhead. George North, 30, wing slash centre, Ospreys, 109 caps. It's just a bit unfortunate that it took 100 of those caps to realise George North is a centre, not a wing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what was it? 
Did Gatlin ever get to play with it? Because I know Gatlin was he's, whispering it. He's covered there. He covered it. Okay. I'm not sure. I can't remember if he started there, but he's certainly coming off yeah. the wing to cover that. Yeah, I feel Somebody's like, gone off I feel like Gatlin accepted the idea. Yeah. yeah. And Pivak sort of ran with it. And to be fair, that was one of Pivak's better selections, actually, trying to make that work. And it, it worked quite quickly. I, I've seen his future not in the crystal ball, of course. <laughs> I always saw his future at, at centre. I mean, Carl cut his teeth on the wing and finish it off at, uh, at centre but uh, I think that's um, definitely where he's going the next World Cup cycle maybe yeah remember he's, he's 100 caps 109 caps I mean that 30. 2012 season where him and Foxy just smashed Ireland to pieces oh. in the Pro Cup uh, no Pro Cup was it the Aviva yeah uh, it was away in Dublin wherever the stadium yeah. was like those two were on fire that day yeah. and Again, maybe maybe one who's been living on reputation, but I don't think we've got anyone better in the centre. And he is a world class athlete. Absolutely. Yeah. Next up, we've got Nick Tompkins. Ah, so um, another centre. This guy can play 12 or 13. Um, and yeah, like, Pivak used him 25 times. Now, he's 27, uh, 18, well, According to Wikipedia's for 18 caps, which can't be true because Pivak's used it more than that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Wikipedia, keep up. And he's, he's, <laughs> I think, going through all of these notes before, you know, when we were preparing for the podcast, I think he's one of two or three players who Pivak used 25 times. So he's one of Pivak's, well, he is Pivak's joint top most used player. Wow. And I'm not sure if he's found his right position yet. I, I, yeah, and we've discussed this off here. I don't know what style of centre he is. Now, there's, there's a bit of a meme that Gatlin likes crash ball centres. I don't know if that's true. I think he just likes the centre who's going to do the best job based um, around what the team can do. And the Gatlin's job is getting over the game line. Or, you know, I mean, you look at a distributed 12, like he, he tried Henson because Henson was the best choice at 12 at the time, and then Jimmy Roberts came along, and Jimmy Roberts... I don't know what sort of game plan you could build around Tompkins. You can't. He's chaos. He is chaos. (laughs) Um, I think the only problem with Tompkins is his biggest weakness is his defence. And Gatlin likes to build teams around a strong defence. And I don't think he will trust Tompkins enough to... Actually, yeah. If you look at commonality between Henson and Roberts, defence. Yeah. They were strong, strong defenders, strong carriers in equal measure. There are the nuances of being able to break the game line mm. as did Roberts and, and definitely have the soft skill set like Henson had with a kicking option as well. Mm. Um, but you look at the ones coming behind uh, the, the, the fresh faces, likes of um, Joe Hawkins and Kieran Williams in the Ospreys. These are hard running 12s, the kind of 12s, the guy like the Catlin will be surely had, a, had an eye on over the last three years, yeah. I think. I will say though, like, I know he gets a lot of stick, but he's a scrappy little player. Like he gives it a good old goal, you know. And there's no, no no denying, and he's obviously he's like a pinball, isn't he? Yeah. You know, he'll just he'll just rock around tackles, and you he has this such a low centre of gravity that you think he's going to topple over, but somehow stays on his feet. And this pinball player has become sort of a thing, even with like the Hamish Watson as well. But yeah, it's um, time limited. Absolutely. Next up, we have Reese Webb. Reese Webb, scrum off. The Ospreys, 33 caps and 33 years old. A nice little uh, statistical quirk. <laughs> um, yeah, he only 
pivot what you actually use it five times, which on paper feels low, but then I suppose you look at the circumstances, you got weirdly caught up by the uh, um, original iteration of the 60 cap rule. Um, and I don't think he's been the same player since. And no. his, his time in France wasn't great. He, some, he, he, very he had, turbulent. Yeah, like his family wasn't too happy there. And some players don't take the plane in France. I mean, Gethin Jenkins went off to France. Oh God, yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, over to Toulon as well, and didn't fare so well as because Toulon at the time were spending some serious Euro on players. Yeah, and they also I had Andy Sheridan there in the loose end position as well, and Gethin Jenkins wasn't getting the game time. So there's that to contend with as well, and was. Respect getting the game time he needed it to be and, the player you And have. I mean, it's a shame, I think, because, you know, in, in the shadow of Mike Phillips, I think that once we'd established Webb and Davis as a starting and bench partnership, we did build out our game quite successfully, and Scrum Off's been a bit choppy changey in the last few years. Uh, and I, I don't know, maybe the lack of stability is harmless. I knew Garth Davis and Rousseau being much in the same kind of snipey player, like, but uh, both good to have in your arsenal. Exactly. On we go to Reese Carriad. Reese Carriad, only a young man of 24, loose head prop, Cardiff, 17 caps. Yeah, and it's, it's going to be more. 100%. He's... Uh, it's become a feature of this feature <laughs> but uh, for some players Pivak had this idea of what shape that specific person should be what size that person should be and we saw with Jack Morgan who didn't change size <laughs> he just started picking it and we've seen it with Kari like I, I think the story goes Pivak went into Bodka but that's Mokrim and under Dayang at Cardiff He's flourished. He's he's become one of our best players this season. I think the die is an appreciation of what's required of props, yeah. knowing the score with with yeah. the role itself. But um, for die, he's obviously the straps. But um, yeah. for Wayne, that one. I can sort of imagine a sort of father son relationship with die. It's like like a sort of stepdad. You're like a loving stepdad. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like, I'll, I'll show you what you need. Come with me. Don't listen to Pitt. Don't listen to Wayne. Don't listen. He's your real dad. Don't listen to Uncle Wayne. <laughs> Yeah, he's been great for us. I, like I think Gatlin's gonna love him. Yeah, yeah maybe, Grandpa, maybe Grandpa Warren will. Um, yeah. Will, will <laughs> right. Next up, we have Will Rowlands. Reese, if you want to take us through uh, a bit of Will Rowlands, like Will Rowlands. Um, so his first appearance under Pivac was against France in the third round of the Six Nations, and by this point, Pivac has used eleven new players in the Six Nations. He's got to play twenty-three times for him. Um, and I was surprised that he's as old as he is. He's 31, he's on his way out of Wales, but I low-key down had him as captain at some point. He talks well, he plays well, he seems intelligent, the players seem to like him, and yeah, I'm a bit sad he's off. I totally agree. But as Someone like, I don't know what it was, I just wasn't too convinced with him in his first sort of uh, mm. few games, um, but... Ever since then, I've just been a big Will Rowlands fan. I think he's just come on leaps and bounds. He's like very, very good for Wales. Very good player that Dragons were able to snap up. But I think it's a huge loss to the Dragons that he's leaving. It's a huge loss to Wales because, again, if if this um, uh, sixty cap rule remains, then you know he's not going to get picked. And yeah, I think it's it's a crying shame to be honest because he's hit some excellent form for yeah, Wales. I mean, it goes back to our. Uh, 
depleting pool of locks. Although, as we discussed last week, maybe Ball is on his way back at some point. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, can't help but echo at that disappoint, echo the points disappointing that Roland's uh, going. Um, he was before he came to the Dragons. Uh, he was tearing up trees for wasps and yeah. making edgeways there, and you know maybe not exactly finding that form from the wasps to whales, but. Since coming to the Dragons, he certainly found his stride and resulted in being uh, voted Player of the Year, which is no mean feat. Uh, next up, we have Josh Navidi. Josh Navidi, 31, playing at Cardiff with 30 caps and covering the entire back row, eight blind side and open side. And I don't mind telling you, he does a job at it, does a job at them at all. Yeah, I mean, he is probably second or third choice for Wales in all of those positions when he's fit and he's first choice as a number 20 Um, which doesn't do him justice because he deserves that starting jersey and it's it's injuries I mean it took until the fourth round of the Six Nations to pivot to have a go at him and I I, I can only only think that would have been down to another injury day off I mean I, I was there when he dislocated his elbow and horrible, it was horrible. Uh, horrible. Yeah. I was at the game with you. Was and his current injury, like a, a nerve problem with his neck, and the return to play date keeps getting pushed back and pushed back. I do worry about his rugby playing future, and I, I hope we haven't seen the last of him, but I'm concerned. Yeah, um, always been a fan of Navidi. I feel like his start came too late uh, in his career. He should have he should have been playing for Wales a lot sooner than he was. But again, you know, a victim of his ability to play all all across the back row and the immense depth of wealth we have in that position. Yeah. Um, what was it you said, Reese? That he's a, the James Hook of the forwards. <laughs> he's the James Hook <laughs> of the forwards. But and sometimes that's not a bad thing either, particularly in a World Cup year yeah. when you've got when you need players to be you've got a limited number of squads in your squad and you need players to be able to sort of yeah. play in different positions next up we have another recent Cardiff acquisition in Liam Williams Ed I don't know if there's much more I can say about Liam Williams on this episode but I will try <laughs> 31 full back wing um, currently at Cardiff and 81 caps to his name yeah he's, um, he's class isn't he like yeah. I think he's a lot of people's favourite player because bit of a character and like I don't profess to know anything about the seventies really, but he gives me JPR energy, just fearless nutter. Yeah, he's got them them echoes of that that yeah. generation. You, yeah. can, you can see he's clearly watched a lot of the videos of the seventies and put himself in that kind of frame of play. Um, once Mikey at the Royal Welsh Show, uh, he was playing for Carmarthen um, uh, uh, Sevens team. They were playing against Brecon, and I saw him going for a jackal, and a Brecon, massive Brecon farmer, just probably fresh <laughs> off the hill, came absolutely steamrolling in from the halfway line, just absolutely like twice the size of Liam Williams. Liam Williams, who obviously you can imagine, this was when he was in his academy days, so he was probably pushing like 17, 18 maybe, just absolutely just destroyed him in the ruck. And I just remember Liam Williams getting up with that little wry smile, he's yeah. <laughs> just laughing. I was just like, yeah. you are bastard. <laughs> he is, he is incredible. I knew that story before, and uh, it was always, from what I heard it last, he was uh, always banding around, did he, didn't he? But uh, thanks for confirming that. No. I think um, we're all agreed his best positions fall back now. Yep. Yeah. Like it's, it's, I mean, wing in an emergency on, on a yep. game day with a 23 already been picked, but... 
he's he's not a bench no, player. No. Number one bomb diffuser, probably one of the best under a high ball in the world, and a deadly counter attacker to boot. Like we've seen against uh, the Lions. Oh God! When I, he stepped uh, in against New Zealand for the Lions. For the yeah, absolutely. Next up, we have Jonathan Davis. Yeah. So here's the story. <laughs> After that England game in the Six Nations where Josh Navidi and Liam Williams were used the first time, the COVID-19 pandemic happened. And there was no rugby, international rugby, until the following October when, who remembers the Autumn Nations Championship? Oh, (laughs) it'd be sick in my mouth. In our first fixture in that tournament, if you can call it that, was against France, in which Piva picked... Seven new players. Uh, yeah, the first of which, Jonathan... Just, just the seven. Uh, Jonathan Davis. Now, he went on to be used 15 times by Pivak. Usually starting at 13, although he's then slipped into the 12 jersey. I think he's also filled the 23 jersey a few times. I... Sorry, no, no, go on, sorry. Uh, so he's 34 now, so very much coming to the end of his shelf life as a back player, probably. Nin- I don't see him moving into prop, mind. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> 94 Wales caps, six for the Lions. Uh, he's excellent at his best, and he's average at his worst. I see him moving into the 12 jersey long term. As uh, a Gatland 12? As, as, as a Gatland 12, not just to fill a gap, because I don't think there's necessarily a gap to fill with the 12s mm-hmm. available. And the ones coming through. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But as, as, as a ment- in, in a, a mentorship role, you stick a, stick a young 12 like Joe Hawkins on the bench, or Kieran Williams, and then you let them, or even, I mean, there's Williams Hal Holo as well. Yeah. Um, and you get Jonathan Davis to show them. Yeah. To, to soften and soften the opposition up, ready for a bit of a yeah. To let the extra come on and have a go. Which, which was the Lions tour where he was just phenomenal? Oh, he played, yeah, he played twelve and thirteen, man of the tour, and carved it up left, right, and centre. Yeah, um, what what a what a way to do it! Like, and it's a shame we haven't seen him hit those heights since then, really. But I think on his day, he can still do it if he's. Yeah, right. I think like, like a lot of outside backs, they lose that yard of pace, but they haven't lost the, the ability to play rugby. No, he's he's still got that rugby mind. Um, just unfortunately, I wish not the his, same body. I wish he put his tongue in his mouth when he's running off. Like I'm sure one day he's going to bite it off if he gets like battered in the right way. And that'll do his punditry career after the event ah. is no good. So next up, we have Jonathan Davis's brother, James Davis. Sad ending. Unfortunately, James yeah. has. Since had to retire due to injury, um, thirty-two was at the Scarlets, um, with the Leaden Caps, uh, open side flanker, um, and had his, was a silver medalist in the two thousand and sixteen yeah. Olympics. He was immense in that Olympics, and there's not many of them silver medals flying around in in Welsh rugby. Let me tell you, I don't <laughs> think there are any more in our list. Actually, of the in the, in the four episodes we're going to do, I don't think there are any more. Funny you say that. Funny you say that. <laughs> um, he was a character of the game. He was um, yeah. liked a bit of nonsense and got sanctioned for the nonsense. <laughs> I think. If he was born in the wrong decade and he was born at the wrong time in terms of other people available in his position, yeah. I feel like he's the 2020s Chico Hopkins. 
<laughs> oh, very much a victim of the depth and opposition. Yeah, yeah. But um, and again, did, was it the fact that he, that's what, what prevented him from being the, the best he could have been? Do you know what? I get the impression actually he didn't really mind that much. I feel like he had enough fun doing what he was doing that he didn't yeah, really mind. Day-to-day. It's almost like he just loved being a rugby player. Yeah, and yeah. like that was amazing to him. Yeah, and. You know, when playing for Wales, but not playing for Wales, take it or leave it. Yeah. But being a rugby player is your job. I think you just absolutely loved every second of it. Yeah. Next up, we have Samson Leard. We all need a team of Samson Leeds. I team. <laughs> Honestly, that has spawned the most inventive uh, rugby channel. Really. Um, Samson Lee, 30 years old, scarlet, tight head prop, 45 caps. Is he still only 30? Yeah. So again, another one who seems to have been around a lot longer than that. Injuries um, again. Yeah. There's Achilles, didn't he? And that was pretty much him done internationally for a long time, wasn't yeah. it? Seems to be very much out of favour um, with Wales now. And the Scarlets. And be the Scarlets, yeah. for injury. And I yeah. think, um, always wanted him to just sort of... There was a lot of hope for him. Um, and his scrummaging seemed to dip a dive, I thought. Um but I was always happy to see him on the team sheet, and I, uh, I just think he, he was an out-and-out tight head, and that's what he offered he, you he was, was a, a scrummager. Yeah, around the park, he's, he's not chasing down three-quarter players. No. He's not putting a hand on scrum halves. No. But he was there, he knew his role, he was a tight head and a solid scrummager. Yeah. And he, and he was there to wind up Joe Marler. Yes. Backfired ever so slightly, however. I think, um, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, it's a shame, really. I mean, like, uh, well, I don't know. I was about to say we aren't blessed with props, but actually, we go for this list, and there's a few props who have played international rugby. But I always thought Samson had the. I, I don't want to talk about really, but I always thought he could end up as a Lions prop at some point. I think so, yeah. because, like, like we alluded to, you know, his. He, his, at some point, his tight head ability was second to none in Wales and seemed to be like he was going to be cementing that position yeah. going forward. And it would be Samson Lee plus a backup. Yeah. Okay. Next up, Sam Parry. Sam Parry. And I mean, like, uh, see, so here's another one. He's a hooker, plays for the Ospreys. Pivak used him uh, four times. He was a replacement hooker in this game. Five Wales caps. How old do we think Sam Parry is? He can't be that old. He's 26, maybe. Um, I feel like he's been around for a long time. So I'm going to say 30. Yeah, he's bang on. He's 30. Sam Parry is 30 years old. Um, I don't know a lot about him, but as, as front row players, what do you think? <laughs> um, probably Oops. a victim of being behind other players like Hibbard and Scott Baldwin at the Ospreys. Um, uh, okay. Potentially, um, I think it gave him the chance, like with a lot of other, like with a lot of players, if you give him an opportunity to prove themselves within that international environment. Yeah, it's up to him then what he do, what he does with it. Do you what, think he what? did prove himself? I think he had another chance, as he was only four caps. Yeah, I think it's hard to say really because of those four caps, there's nothing memorable springing no. into mind, which is unfortunate. But I think it wasn't his selection on the back of him. Didn't he score like? Like um, two hat tricks in two games, or oh, I don't know. Yeah, this is scoring every game. For, 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 there's, there's a, yeah, there's, there's like some try scoring 
achievement um, achievement yeah. he had in that season for the Oscars. Okay, well I look into that when you guys discuss the next and, one. Um, <laughs> I think that was on the sort of that, the selection was on the back of that, but then yeah, it's, it's sad that it never went anywhere. For yeah. Him. So um, again, like you know, Wales again not not blessed with hookers, hookers or t- talented hookers in the in the mould of Ken. No, and and you. Before Ken was Richard Hibbard, before Richard Hibbard, Matthew Reese. They seem to be one in a generation with with a, with a backup. But obviously, again, given the opportunity, then who knows? This hat trick was in 2016, so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next up, we have Reese Patchell. Oh, bless him. Uh, Reese Patchell, 29, played at the Scarlets with 17 caps, covering fl- fl- uh, fly off and fullback. With a dabble at inside centre now and again. I like Patch. Big boy, strong boy, rugby mind. Yeah. Bright. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and just plagued by injuries. Like, yeah. a little turn of pace. Yeah. I feel like he had all the ingredients and it just hasn't happened for him. He was playing yeah. to the line before players were playing to the line. Yeah. And that's what's wanted of the outside RTC. And at Cardiff, I, I was happy seeing him at fly off and full back. I, yeah. uh, again, I'm, I'm not one for flittering your. Fly off at fullback. What a liberation! <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Patrick for me is an out and out fly off. I don't see him fly off with, with the potential because of his frame to be able to cover the 12 jersey, but not as a crash ball 12, more as a distributor. But I, and it's been a thing with Welsh fly offs. They they seem to be sort of right. You're a tenure, but you could be, but but tomorrow you'll be a fullback. Yeah. Much in a way, Anscombe they played played with Anscombe, and a bit with Priestland as well. They've put him fly off and fullback, and Gavin Henson, James Hook. I think um, back to Patchell. Um, I was actually gutted to see him leave Cardiff when when that happened, and I know obviously injuries played a big part of of his rugby since then. But I think it's actually not. I think it's worked against him moving to the Scarlets because he then ended up being behind um, players at the Scarlets, not getting the opportunities that he otherwise should have. Um, and I think Cardiff lost out then for, for a while after he left. We didn't really have a very established 10. Yeah. Next up, uh, Lewis Reese Zamet. Who? <laughs> Reese Lightning? Oh, that's goodness. that's the chat I think that's what we're referring, referring to in these days. Uh, Lewis B. Salmon, twenty-one, Gloucester wing, uh, nineteen caps. Also, Pivak used well. No, I think it's enough on those Wikipedia issues because I've I've counted twenty-two uses in by Pivak. Um, oh, I, I'll get my cappage off the official WRU website. Oh, well, all right, shenanigans. We discussed this off here. <laughs> he was uh, he was on the bench for this game, uh, covering twenty-three. Has anyone ever seen like somebody about to score a try looking more dead-eyed? Right? <laughs> <laughs> He'll kick ahead. There'll be players here and after him, and he will be just running, and like his face is expressionless, <laughs> and he is moving ten meters a second. The, the man is such an ass. S- such focus. Um, I will uh, have a correction live on air. Um, I've just had a look, and it's actually is twenty-two caps for Wales. No, my, my bad. Lightning. Out to no pace, and that's what international players need. And he's embarrassing teams he's, when he he's plays for Gloucester. Just fast. He's big. Yeah. He's strong, and he's got a reasonable kicking game. He's he's got rugby intelligence, and he's got quite soft hands as well. Like he's mm. like I, the dwarf. I, I think that kicking game needs work. 
after his dalliance at fullback for Wales. He, he kicks day. well. He kicks well for himself. <laughs> so, so for his own chases, mm, when, yeah, when, yeah, when he's on yeah. the last defender, is is sort of short. Floor-based kicking game, I think, is good. It's like that try against um, Fiji last last year in the autumn uh, autumn nations. Like he he had no right to score that try, <laughs> but somehow he outpaced people that seemed only ten meters away from the ball, and he was running from his own half. <laughs> like there was last season where things just happened for him. For like, so I think it was the twenty twenty one Six Nations we won, and we played England, and the ball like bounced off him. But it wasn't a knock on because it went yeah. back. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> like, like yeah, he just he just well, he, that, and the face was the face become a meme. It sort of really like, did. No, like I, he's long career coming. I think yeah. I don't think Louis a flash in the pan. I think he's, no. he's going the distance. I I, I I like to see him with his pace, with his step, with his ability to sort of uh, break lines. What's good about him, lastly, is he just he seems like a professional as well yeah. in yeah. the sense that he's looking out for himself off the pitch, yeah. and that only bodes well for his future. Of course, it's a, it's a different. Um, Way of culturing sometimes with the, with the player. Um, next offline, we have Nicky Smith. Yeah, so the last of the new players from that France game before we go into the Scotland Six Nations game that happened in the October. Um, so Nicky Smith is another loose head that Pivac seemed to have a blind spot for. Uh, 28 <laughs> years old, still quite young actually, yeah, 20, yeah. 28. 41 caps, I make it. Played for the Ospreys, uh, by all accounts having a great couple of seasons. Gatland likes him. And I've just got to say this, whenever I see him in interviews, hilarious. Like a funny, <laughs> funny man. I like him. He had a hell of a game in the scrum against uh, Leicester on the weekend. Did a real good job. and um... I associate him with nice hands. I think he's decent ball handling. I think, um, yeah, he said... He's, he, he was sort of out, he had a good run didn't he he mm. sort of came to some form and had a good run and, and again like I said off the uh, lost out when when Payback went making decisions I, I think at 28 he's got two World Cups in him mm. yeah Easy. definitely yeah. Um, seems to be hitting his stride with his scrum at the moment um, as proved on the weekend but I just you know can anyone come back from a big security if we're actually falling for Ardy Sevilla's great oh. dummy of all time <laughs> Uh, um, I, I think Andy Vasili was quite clever with Amy. Coming from a props perspective, I think you're buying that every day. I certainly <laughs> loved it all. Yeah, oh, I don't know. I just think Andy Vasili is just having this year of rugby where he's just literally like, he's doing okay, I'll try this. He's got what he wants. You've got it wrong. Nicky Smith just thought he'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he can put on his, uh, yeah. he can throw on his after dinner speech suit exactly. when, he, um, when he retires. Yeah. yeah. The, the day I got dummied by Andy Sevilla. Talk us through it, Nicky. Talk us through it. Next off the line, we have next off the next come off the ranking is um, Nicky Smith's front row fellow in Tom Francis. Tom Francis, tight end at the Ospreys, thirty years old with sixty-two caps. He's going to add to those, and yeah. probably another one who's doing this World Cup and the next one. Injuries allowing. Yeah, he. I think has come on leaps and bounds since he started playing for Wales. Yeah. And I'm, it must have been injuries that took Pivak until, you know, October 2020 to pick him yeah. for the first time. He's this sort of flitted between him and Dylan Lewis and Leon Brown. Yeah. Again, there's three, three titles there you'd potentially look at for a World Cup, but... Uh, 
Yeah, and I miss. I mean, despite missing Pivac's first five games, he's been used eighteen times. So yeah. he's got a lot of stock, yeah. and I think he's yeah. he's a stalwart. I think in this current Wales team. Yeah, he's um definitely there. Um, one of the first names on the team sheet when you're when you're looking at yeah. whether it be sort of securing a win against one of the bottom, lower teams in yeah. the Six Nations, or whether it be against. One of the better teams within the Six Nations. I think you like him because he does what he's supposed to do as a tight dad. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't really veer off. Um, no. Off the, off, off the script. until the cows come home. And next up, Shane Lewis Hughes. Shane Lewis Hughes, uh, 25, Cardiff, flanker, only three caps. Yeah, I like, I kind of hope, not for Shane's sake that he stays in the international wilderness and becomes a club legend. So I think he's got all the makings of that. Yeah. Bit of a... I think he's quite tasty. Rough he, diamond, I think. I yeah, think he's... he likes the physicality. He's Ron the boy. Mm. Um, Should have been a warrior. <laughs> and he seems to just love that traditional blindside role. Yeah. Um, never upset to see his name on the team sheet for Cardiff. Uh I know he's had a rough time with some injuries, but I it's it's annoying because like I kind of like I'm the same as you. I want him to be there for Cardiff every week, every week. Um, but I also want him to have his opportunity for Wales again. But yes, it's it's like you can't have one or the other. I think in Wales he's probably because of the injuries he is quite far down the list. Yeah, uh, not not for any fault of his own really, but yeah, you know, there's. I, I feel like Gatlin's going to be looking at Aaron Wainwright again before yeah. he looks at oh, Shagos yeah. Hughes. I think he's probably looking at Moriarty again before he looks yeah. at Shagos Hughes yeah. and so on. And then Jack, yeah, Jack Morgan before he looks at Shagos outside chance of making the World Cup squad yeah. probably won't be in the Six Nations. And I mean, we don't have a game against a minnow before the World Cup, so there's not going to be any time for Gatlin to have a look at him. Unless, either, unless you know. an A-team appears to run it, rub it, rub it rear its head. <laughs> but that's maybe another conversation for another day. Mm-hmm. Very much. Should we move on to the last one? Last, but not by no means least, Lloyd Williams. Oh, Lloyd. I love Lloyd Williams. <laughs> Cardiff, one club man, 33 years old, 31 Wales caps. And uh, 250 Cardiff. 250 Cardiff uses, yeah, how did I forget Congratulations, that? Lloyd Williams. Um, yeah, came off the bench against Scotland for the first time for Pivac, who went on to use him three more times after that. Um, yeah, Lloyd, probably, yeah, on all of their days, I feel like Thomas Williams aside, the second choice wheel scrum are all about the same level. Um, and I get the feeling Gatland likes Lloyd, he appreciates the fitness he has. And I wonder if we might just see him sneak in somewhere if there's an injury in the next nine months or so. If there's an injury, I would say so, because I feel like he's probably, because of his fitness um, and sort of like the consistency he shows, not the Will Carson consistency, but just consistency, I think that puts him ahead of now Gareth and Brees Webb. I feel like Gatlin would use Lloyd Williams before he used Dave Blacker. Which I feel a little bit disappointing because Dane Black has having a storming opportunity. When he plays, he has a hell of an opportunity and plays really well with with the Scarlets. But 
what we, we don't know what Gallon's thinking is he going to go with yeah. what he knows in terms of the scrum up because each position I think has its own merits and it, it'll be interesting to see what Gallon does with Kieran Hardy actually is he going to continue with that or not yeah. I, the, the third choice 21 sorry the, the third choice scrum half is going to be uh, it's not going to be Shane Williams is it not anymore so then Lloyd <laughs> Williams did pop up on the wing in the last World Cup oh. absolutely create, create it was not, not the last one sorry 2015 and create an absolute wonder scenario for Gareth Davis I blacked out after that <laughs> <laughs> I came around with my, my shoes swinging over my head <laughs> And that wraps up our second instalment of Pivac Picked. Two to go. Tune in next week to find out more. Hey, next week, a little bit of a teaser. This is the first game Pivac didn't pick a new player. <gasps> no. <laughs> that is interesting. Tune in next week to find out. So then, let's um, have a look at this weekend's up-and-coming fixtures of the uh, European competitions. We start off... On the seventeenth, on Sat- oh, in fact, say start off on the seventeenth. We finish on the seventeenth as well. All games taking place on Saturday. First up on the day is Cheetahs versus Scarlets at quarter past three. Cheetahs recently uh, taken the spoils over Poe. Um, Scarlets having to travel to South Africa again on the back of. A fairly decent win. I think we can call it fairly decent, given the Scarlet's yeah. uh, recent run of form. Um, how do you think we'd win? Do you know what? I can see a, a spiral here. I, I can see a doom spiral. So we covered this last week. It's ridiculous that the Scarlet's had to go to South Africa, play two games, come home, and go back. Yeah. Right? And we're, we're planning on rugby's part. And it's, I, I kind of feel like, right, it must be how like a recidivist feels, right? You're in jail, you're in jail, you get out, you have a lovely time, and then you go back. <laughs> <laughs> right? They, I, don't, I think mentally it's going to be galling for them. Yeah. You'd like to think they could have, much akin to the Dragons, they could have stayed there yeah. with. In, in South Africa just to get that, get that round done it saves a lot of oh, a lot of posh a lot of bother just have chosen a team from France or England to play them that weekend yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean this, this shows like a lack of joined up thinking between yeah. all rugby bodies there, actually is yeah. shit show there's a disconnect and it's only people it's, it's fucked up it's but Scarlet in, in terms of in terms of results I'm, I, I know the cheaters aren't up to much I mean they're the fifth team in South Africa but uh, and only being sort of Come back into the competition because they need numbers. On a good day, Scarlets could win, but it's away from home. I, yeah, I, I go and cheaters. Cheaters, bear in mind, beat Poe yeah. away from home yeah. last weekend. Yeah. I go for a cheaters win. I there. can't see anything but a cheaters. They'll win. actually be wanting to make a name for themselves in this tournament. Yeah, yeah. it's their first opportunity. Got to their I think on the back of that win against Poe, um, going back to their you know home grounds. Scarlet's then travelling back to South Africa. Like, yeah, yeah, I just don't see their cheese are going to be up first. The Scarlet's arms, and it could be a prison shaming. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, two games kicking off at the same time. The Cardiff away to Newcastle, and the Dragons entertaining Pow. Do you know what? There must be a record for the number of times a podcast has said Pow. <laughs> We've got through a lot of them today. I mean, Cardiff away at Newcastle, man. This is actually shaping up to be a good game. So, um, Newcastle didn't look particularly weak last weekend. Um, I do love an Anglo-Welsh fixture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do love Cardiff. 
it's just how, it's one side of the country to yeah. the other. Yeah, it's, it's but, yeah. I think how we perform is going to depend entirely on how much we think about squad rotation. We got the festive derbies coming up. I know we'd be targeting those, being as we are six in the URC. I wonder if Dai might think this is a game we can afford to get just a losing bonus point out of. Yeah, I think last weekend uh, I was hoping for maybe six points from the two games. Yeah. Um, we're only one point away from that, so yeah, I think a losing bonus point. But like I said last week, I think it's got the potential to be an open, high-scoring um, game. So that being said, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we did get two points from this match. Yeah. And Dragons and Pau. Interesting game. Don't know what to make of this one. Um, Dragons are going to fancy themselves. Yeah, I think Actually, so. I've changed my mind. This is probably the fixture of the weekend. I, I, <laughs> I quite agree. Yeah, it's, it's certainly got a, a good story written to it. You know what we're going to say, though? French team travelling. Oh, sacrifice. <laughs> Twelfth in the league. Lost, lost at home to Cheetahs they, last weekend. They've got a motive not to do well in this competition. I'd be surprised if they're not sending the youth team for this. I, I, right, I've got 5 0 Dragons. Uh, yeah. yeah, and, and, and rightly so, if, if, if that's the case, Dragons should pick this one off. Mm. And, and, and throw it all and, and, and play as there's, if nobody's watching. There's a good buzz Nobody around. will be watching. <laughs> <laughs> there's a good buzz around Dragons at the moment. Absolutely. I feel like this is going to be a good crowd for them to watch, yeah. uh, for, to come and watch them. And I think Dragons will probably be buzzing off that, buzzing off last weekend. Long tour in South Africa, though, so that could work against them. But I'm the hoping, boys will be tired. Yeah, I'm hoping. But a homecoming, maybe. Yeah. Like them. But they're, they're away to Mom. Sorry, no. Yeah, no, it's Ospreys who are away to Montpellier. Fifth place to Montpellier. Um, I don't think. Um, Sorry. What, 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 what do we say? It's going to be less Osprey, more Seagull, I think. It's going to be. <laughs> eight, yeah. eight, eight o'clock Saturday night. Oh, um, my God. The like, oh, prime, prime, prime French rugby yeah. battering time. Yeah. We all, Montpellier uh, beat London uh, Irish like, last weekend as well. It's, uh, away. It's such a fourth race. 10. 10, 15 years ago, we would have been licking our lips this yeah. fixture. Oh, what, a, what a game it would have been. Uh, um, yeah, well, go on, Mike. No, sorry, I He's probably more of an offspring no. than I am. Uh, see, listen to Toby Booth in the week um, after, in, sort of after, after the, the, the fallout from the Leicester game. Uh, they've made it more difficult for themselves to progress in the Champions Cup yeah. due to coming and stuck against Len, at the Leicester. And now we're having to travel away to Montpellier, which is a challenge within itself. Um, Ed? I don't see them taking a weekend side to this game. I think they'll go probably all guns blazing. Um, but I'd be surprised if they come away with anything. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, this weekend's fixtures wrapped up. Now then. On to our final feature, our Forbidden Love of the Week. So we've actually had one from the internet this week. No way. We wow. did. Um, I'm number one fan. Yeah. Uh, so, you know what? It's actually been, for a first week of a sort of broadcast um, social media presence, we've actually had some engagement, which I found quite nice. Um, so I'm just going to scroll back so I get the user's uh, Twitter handle in there. Um... In the meantime, why don't you guys talk through yours? Uh, forbidden love of the week. 
Ed, do you want to go first? Oh, uh, go first, just because it's um, it's fresh fresh topic. I've, I've refrained from probably nodding to it throughout the episode, but as a Cardiff fan, it pains me with how much I'm enjoying Dragon's recent <gasps> success. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if it's just because of a person who's suffered with the sort of downturn of his team knowing what it's like when your team starts actually coming good again that I'm sort of uh, absorbing that through the Dragons supporters or what it is but um, yeah it makes me feel dirty as long as they don't beat us in the festive dark yeah. you can't have it always I'm happy enough <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing the Dragons doing some serious damage on Judgment Day <laughs> So, quite happy to see. Yeah, so yeah, we had one from Stephen on Twitter. Richard Hill, the most understated, underrated English player ever to wear an England and Lions shirt. Has, Went about his business absolutely under the radar and come up with the goods. Yeah, I mean, a um, little bit before I was into rugby, but it's a common theme on this podcast of, of Welshmen admitting their love for uh, English. <laughs> we had it last week, <laughs> we didn't did, we? Didn't we? Oh yeah, that was a bit so, of a sometimes week. rugby transcends the international yeah, yeah. jersey. I think so. And you've got to appreciate players for who they are, and what they do. Yeah. So, Mikey, have, uh, have you got yours around? Oh, I have. Go on. Much in the same way as uh, Ed's put across his forbidden love, uh, I think that the Blues and the Dragons taking the spoils where they could. Uh, sorry, the Blues and the Scarlets. Sorry, Cardiff. <laughs> Scarlets. I'll get it right. Taking the wins with much gusto on the weekend. I think when it comes to Europe, you want to see all the regions doing well in Europe, and um, the Austrians were the only ones not come away with 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 meaningful spoils. But um, yeah, fair play to the Cardiff rugby and the Scarlets, and uh, all the best for the coming weeks through gritted teeth, no less. <laughs> No, uh, it's, it's, it, it, I'm sure that'll be appreciated by our, our Cardiff uh, fan base. I hope so. You only get me once, mind. <laughs> <laughs> so mine is, I quite like the order internationals being on Amazon Prime. <sighs> oh, oh, Reese, you've been sick. <laughs> Think about it this way: it's neat and tidy, and they're all in one place. And yes. it's, it's something. That, now the only reason I'm saying this is because they brought her up on the attacking scrum earlier in the week. And yeah. you think, do you know what? I agree. Rugby needs to be in one place. Because, yes. uh, and I think the point that was made was that, okay, Wales would be on BBC Wales, England would be on Sky Sports, Ireland, who knows? Yeah. France, <laughs> no chance. Yeah. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, like, we love days um, where we meet up at lunchtime and we watch five games of rugby, one after the other, back to back. And it's yeah. great. So that first weekend of um, of the Autumn Nations proper, um, ignoring the Scotland-Australia uh, game, was... Incredible. Was wicked. Yeah. Like, you get you got together with all your mates. Yeah, you, you're you're, you're exactly in one place. Yeah. One of you is bound to have an Amazon Prime subscription. Or, or borrow someone's. I will um, say, the, the only thing is, and I mean, it might not be a problem forever, some people don't have the tech savvy to access it. No. Um, and I can't help but feel a bit heartbroken there but I think as a package with a bow on it in terms of growing the sport growing the audience so many people have access to it it, it's unfortunate it happens to be behind the paywall that's the problem that that 
takes I away from um, what the what rugby is. I've had was. to think about this. I spent a lot. I spend a lot of money on a lot of silly things, and <laughs> I think, had, yeah, of course, a hundred quid a year watching. What was it? Twenty-five internationals. Yeah. Yeah. You can't buy I'm a ticket. Right with that. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't I mean, buy a ticket for that. No, you put you buy one one Welsh international ticket. You're looking at seventy-five quid. Yeah, and that's basically a year subscription to Amazon. Of course, Prime. you didn't hear it from me, but you can also do a free trial for a month and then cancel it. Can you? Yes. There we are, listeners. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, gentlemen. I think that brings us to an organic close. We'll wrap it up there. Yeah. Thank you everyone for dialing in. Hope we enjoyed our titter and tatters along the way. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll be bringing one and bringing another episode to you very shortly. So thanks very much. Cheerio. Bye. Bye.